Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. Today's episode will either have you nodding your head in support and approval, or it will be like a punch right to the gut, and it's going to hurt. And honestly, I hope that it leaves a little bit of a mark. I hope that it leaves a little bit of a mark on each and every one of us, because this is going to be a good reminder that all of us as husbands need from time to time. This is going to be a good correction of character that we require on occasion. But I do realize that most of my listeners are dads. If you'll go and look in your closet, you'll probably find a couple of t-shirts that say, been there, done that. And I'm proud of you. I'm glad you have those. But I want you to do me a favor today, and I want you to share this episode with some young men, young men who are at the age where they're considering marriage. Maybe they're already engaged to be married. Maybe they're newly married. It doesn't matter. Young married men, young men thinking about marriage, they need to hear this. I'm going to share some observations, some principles and some practices, some do's and some don'ts that I believe the sooner we put into action, the better our marriage and our family and our life will be. So help me out with this and share this episode with some young men. Now, real fast, for those of you who like to watch the episodes rather than just listen, which that's always my preference if I have that opportunity to watch something rather than just listen. And honestly, with Father in Our Future, if you can hear my voice and see my face at the same time, it just doesn't get much better than that. But in all seriousness, for those of you who do watch, you'll probably notice that I'm in a different spot than I usually am. I don't have those four old Marvel plaques behind me. I'm currently in the dining room, and thankfully, it's a little nicer than it typically looks. It generally looks like a dining room when you're not expecting guests for a very long time, and you know exactly what I mean if you have kids. But um, I'm in the process of creating a set somewhere here in the house or even in a rented facility, but I need help with that. So if you'd like to contribute to that effort, You can send me an email at fatheringourfuture at gmail.com, and I will let you know how you can help out with that. One other thing that I would like to mention that I don't say enough, so I'm going to go ahead and start saying it now. If you ever have a question about fatherhood, marriage, life, the Bible, send me an email and ask me the question. Just email me at fatheringourfuture at gmail.com, and I will happily reply to you. I don't have all the answers, but I will do my best to help you however I can. Fortunately for me, I know a lot of wonderful dads who have unique experiences and who have a lot of wisdom, and I will package all of that up and give it to you. Another reason I would appreciate your questions is I know that you're not the only dad who has that question. There's probably at least a million other dads thinking about the same things that you are. So by giving me your questions, you give me an opportunity to take that question and use it as content for an episode and then give me the ability to potentially reach those other million dads with your same question. So anytime you have a question, don't hesitate. Just send it my way, fatheringourfuture at gmail.com. Now for today's episode, let me start out by saying this. Part of my mission with Fathering Our Future is to create a community of dads so that together we can better father our future. Now, I created a Facebook group, a private group for dads. It's called Fathering Our Future Dads Only. As long as you have a Facebook account that you don't share with your wife and you're a father, I invite you to join the group. But when I started the group, I thought it would probably be wise of me to find another group that was a little more established so that I could learn something, that I could bring some things to to my group from that group that might fuel and help the community 
and also help me be a better administrator of the group. So I found a group that was and still is substantially larger than mine. And I participated, and I went through it and tried to stay involved and see what dads were wanting help with and posting about. And it really alarmed me what I saw. And this is kind of the inspiration behind what I want to talk to you about today. Let me go and give you some bonus content first, though. I was really alarmed by the number of dads, the thousands of dads who are just infatuated with weed and who still want to smoke weed. I was shocked at the number of dads who still get drunk. I mean, these are dads who get so hammered that they do things that they forget about. They post pictures of stains that they get on surfaces that they can't get out because they don't remember how they got it there. And they're asking this community of dads who should be helping them with fatherhood and marriage and life questions. They're asking this community of dads for some secret cleaning hacks so that they can get the stains removed before their wife finds them and then they have to suffer the consequences of their adolescent actions. Those are the types of things that are happening. And it's not just that there's one dad. One dad might post, but a thousand other dads might respond. And they like to laugh about it. Let me go ahead and give you a good bonus tip. If you are an adult male, and especially if you are a husband, and even more so if you are a father, you don't need weed and you don't need to be getting drunk. Listen, you have a remarkably high calling and responsibility as a husband and as a father. And that possesses such a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful reward that if you even just try, if you just do what I'm asking you to do, and that's try to be better every day, if you'll just do that, the reward that you will get at the end of it all, you cannot put a price tag on. It will be far superior to any high or any buzz you could ever get from any substance. You don't need that garbage. You need to focus on your marriage. You need to focus on your children. You need to focus on the life that God's given you. But that's not what I really want to focus on. What bothered me the most are the men who get on these groups and then they begin to trash their wives. They speak negatively about them. They gripe about them. My wife doesn't appreciate all the hard work that I do. They never talk about anything that the wife does. Some of them even say that the wife does nothing. She just sits there all day, doesn't do a single thing. And woe is me because I work, they like to say, 80 hours a week. I doubt that they're probably doing that, but they like to work 60 to 80 hours a week and they come home and they still cook dinner and they still do laundry and they still do dishes and they still do yard work. They do everything that has to be done and they do it all by themselves. They do everything and they don't get appreciation and they don't get support and their wife hates them and their wife pries through their phone. Their wife doesn't understand the decisions that they're making. There are two main things that I want to pull out of this that I want to address. The first thing is that under no circumstance should you ever, ever speak negatively about your wife. There is never grounds for that. And I'll elaborate later. The second thing is you have to give up some of yourself. You have to stop with the selfishness act. And here's the reason why these two things are really important. 
Because your marriage possesses such potential. First of all, it's a place in which you'll find fulfillment that you won't find anywhere else. Whether you ascribe to the belief that God is real or not, I do. So I understand that God created man and woman to be together. He created male and female so that we could live in harmony, that we could live in a relationship with each other. And when we do that, not only do we learn more about God, but we grow and we change. We change for the good. There's something beautiful that happens there. But when you begin having kids, your marriage stands potentially to be the best example of love that your children will see. Now, love is an important thing because love isn't just, which we do a really bad job of culturally defining love today, and that is a whole episode in and of itself. I'm going to invite you to just go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because love teaches other qualities. There are other attributes that are birthed out of love. For example, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, and he talks about how love is patient. In a relationship where there is love, there ought to be patience. If you go home every day and you're snippy with your wife, there might be a good chance that there's not love in that relationship because love yields patience. It goes on to say that love is kind. Love yields kindness. If you're out and about all day, every day, which this is something that a lot of people struggle with, but you're nice to your boss, you're nice to your coworkers, you're nice to people that you have to meet with because they're potential clients, you're nice with strangers, you're nice with the people that are at the restaurant serving you food, you're nice to everyone all day long, but then you get home and you're tired and you begin to be a jerk to your wife. You, began to, you, you start to be kind of standoffish with your children because you're just so tired and drained because you used up all of your kindness because you were trying to be kind in a way that's disingenuine because you're looking for something that benefits yourself. If there's love in the relationship at home, then there will be kindness, greater kindness than that which you fabricate with your employer and with your coworkers. Love yields kindness. Another thing that love yields is humility. And this is a big one that we need. If you're not humble and you are an egoist and your pride goes before you, you're on a path to destruction. So I would recommend that you buckle up because it's going to get really bumpy here for you pretty soon. But love yields humility. Love causes you to walk around with a smile on your face because you recognize that you're a broken individual, that you're held together by grace. And when you see other people, you don't think that you're better than them because you recognize they're in the same boat that you are. They're just as broken and they're just as held together by God's grace. And you don't view yourself higher than other people. You don't walk through your home like you're some dominant alpha dictator. You lead by serving. You love your wife the way that you're supposed to. So important that we do this. We get this so mixed up because we think that strength and force is 
is displayed in our masculinity in the sense of look how strong we are and look how deep our voice can be and look at all these things that we can do. But it's actually displayed in how we serve. This is why the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5 and he says that husbands should love their wives the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me give you another bonus tip. If you're not loving your wife the way that you're supposed to, don't get mad if you feel like she's not submitting to you the way that you feel like she should. If you're not giving yourself entirely to her, don't get mad at her because you don't think she's doing what she needs to be doing. You need to work on yourself first. And that's what I'm really trying to get at today. I understand that marriage is not easy. It requires work. It takes commitment. It takes effort. But you made a promise. You looked that woman in the eyes and you said, I do forever and for always till death do us part. I am yours. I'm giving myself to you. And we will do this thing called life together. That's a commitment that you made. You need to honor that commitment. And yes, it's difficult. It's difficult because what happens, let me just use the biblical definition of marriage. The Bible says that a man leaves father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and these two then become one. And that's difficult to do because in order for two to become one, you have to lose some of your individualism your hobbies and your things that you like to just go off and do whenever you want to do them, that's got to change. And if that doesn't change, well, then you'll be stuck with yourself and you'll probably end up divorced because you're not actually making the changes that accompany the commitment that you made. So marriage has the potential to be something that is beautiful for your family, that's beautiful for your children. They will look at you and they will see love. And in seeing that love, they will see things like patience, which they're going to need, kindness, which the whole world needs, humility. We all need humility. And so many other things. Again, go read 1 Corinthians 13, but they'll find this by watching you and your wife. And in addition to that, they will see how we ought to deal with other people and how other people should deal with us. So when they go out into the world and your daughters are starting to look for a husband, they're going to look for a man that treats them the same way that you treat their mother. Your sons will do the same thing. Your sons will go out in the world and they will look for women and they will aim to treat them the way that you treat their mother, but they will also look for women who are going to reciprocate that to them. So much comes from your relationship with your wife. So much good can come out of your marriage. And so this is why it's so important that you honor your marriage and that you hold it as something that is sacred, something that is valuable, because it has the potential to do so much good for your kids. Your actions really do speak louder than your words. So when you love your wife and you honor your marriage and you strive to be a better husband every day, your kids notice that, and they see that, and they learn so much from that. So this is why I want to caution you to stay away from these two things that I've isolated from these little boys parading around as grown men. The first thing is you don't speak negatively about your wife. There's never a reason. You probably remember your mother or your grandmother or some parental guardian telling you when you were little, if you don't have anything nice to say, 
then don't say anything at all. It's a good rule to live by. If what you are going to do does not produce anything good, then it's probably not good to do that. I like the old adage that says, you're never wrong to do the right thing. There's never reason for you to degrade your wife. Honestly, if you're having an issue with her, you need to be having the conversation with her. You're supposed to work on these things together. But I understand that sometimes when you're with a buddy, it's easy to start talking about life. You need to be careful, even with your closest friends, how you talk about your wife. You don't need to degrade. You don't need to speak negatively of her. Because as good as your closest buddies are, they have people who are close to them, their wives. And they're probably going to share a little bit of their day. And that wife probably has something, someone that they're very close to. This is how gossip starts. It can be completely genuine. It doesn't matter. Words have power and longevity. People remember what you say. They really do. So you have to be careful because what can happen is you can be so emotionally unstable in a moment when you vent about your wife. And rather than including yourself as part of the problem, you isolate her as the issue and you degrade her and you say all the bad things that you feel she is doing. And all of those things begin to get passed along to other people. And now when people approach and relate with your wife, they're a little standoffish. They're a little more hesitant because now they know things that really aren't true, things that you probably exploited because of your emotional instability. And you do damage to your wife. No good comes from you speaking negatively about your wife. And if you're venting to people, and it's always your wife, and it's never you, and you're playing the victim, there's two things that are really clear indicators that you're actually the problem. If you play the victim, you're probably the issue. If everything is happening to you, you're the issue. If you take no responsibility for your actions, and she's always the one who's doing wrong, it's actually probably you. So I'm encouraging you to work on yourself. Let me tell you a story of someone I know, a man in ministry. His marriage ended in a divorce, and he had people come to him and recommend that he divulge what his ex-wife at the time had done so that he would not be at risk of losing his ministerial license in some of the positions that he held. And he made a choice to not say anything negative about his wife because he's a man of character. And that's not what men of character do. No good would come out of him speaking negatively about his wife, his ex-wife, his ex-wife. These little boys in this group are talking about the women that they lay next to every single night in a place that is vulnerable. They lay with them every night, and yet they wake up the next day and gripe in a Facebook group about the mother of their children. And this man, who could have potentially lost reputation, lost position, 
lost his ability to do what he loves to do, chose to take the high road instead. I wish we would be more like that. And he did that with his ex-wife. And still to this day, you will never catch him uttering a negative word about his ex-wife. That's how we need to choose to be. You never need to speak negatively about your wife. And the other thing, and this one's a big one, and I'll try to just isolate this, but the selfishness. Again, I mentioned when you were getting married, this is an act of two becoming one. You lose individualism. You no longer get to have your personal decisions. You no longer make decisions that impact only you. If you're impacted, so is your wife, because you're not just you anymore. You're a union between you and your wife. She is impacted by each and every one of your decisions. And one of the things that really irked me in this group, this is a common complaint. They talk about their work wives. The term wife should exclusively be used for the woman that you look in the eyes and say, I do too. You should not even use it in jest in regards to anyone else. You have one wife, and you need to remember that. But they talk about these women that they work with, that they've worked with for years, and they've built a relationship with, and rightfully so. That's what happens. But let me give you a tip. You need to keep your work relationships at work, and you need to be open about them. Three things that will radically impact your marriage in a positive way, transparency, vulnerability, and communication. Be open and honest. Be vulnerable. Allow your wife to search you and communicate. Tell what's going on in your day. Share who you work with. Be open. Be vulnerable. Communicate. This will do so much good for your relationship with your wife. But they like to gripe about their work wives. Not really gripe about them. Gripe about their real wives being upset about the relationship that they have with these women at work. Let me tell you something. If I told you that I was going to give you a million dollars, I promised you I'm going to give you a million bucks. Now, if I was on the other end of this, I'd be pretty excited. If you told me you were going to give me a million dollars, I would be thrilled out of my mind. But let's just say I was the one who said, I'm going to give you a million bucks. And when I meet you, I give you a $100 bill. Now, I am absolutely positive that you would not say, thank you, thank you so much. You would not do that. You would be upset. You'd get angry at me. I'd imagine that you'd probably start to pry a little bit into my life. You'd probably try to figure out, did he even have a million dollars to give in the first place? Did he promise that million dollars to other people? And that's why I only got 100. Did he give most of it away to someone else. When your wife begins to pry, what you mistake as prying, when she's looking through your phone, she's trying to see who you're talking to, who you're emailing, what you're doing. She's not prying. She's calling out for you because you made a promise. You committed yourself to her. And believe it or not, you and all the mistakes that you make, she looks at you as a gift, as something that's valuable. And she wants you. And you promised yourself 
to her and you're getting mad at her when you're the one who put her in a situation that she was never supposed to be in, you made a promise to her and now you've backed out of that promise because yeah, you might not be having sex, you might not be having an affair, but that fun, serious, flirtatious side of you is going to someone that you work with and not to your wife. That million dollars that she values you at, she's getting a hundred bucks and she doesn't understand where the rest of it is. That's what I'm talking about. You don't get to make decisions that only impact you. You're a union. You're a unit. You and your wife are paired together as one. You should be inseparable. And when you go off and you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, or you take all of your humor and you give it all at work to those women or to that woman that you work with, you're messing up. Maybe you're not having an affair, but you are being a liar. You are backing out of a commitment. You are breaking your promise to your wife. These are two things that we have to be so careful of. There's never an appropriate time for you to speak negatively about your wife. And you have to remember that it's not just about you anymore. You can't be selfish. Because when you start to act selfish, you start to break that commitment that you've made with that woman that you claim to love. You put her in a place where she's all alone and she's never supposed to be that way because she's always supposed to have you. You're supposed to be one. So please remember these things and practice them. Speak good things about your wife. If you're having problems, include yourself in the problem because you are a part of it. It takes two to tango. And remember, the decisions that you make are not just about you. If you're doing something that jeopardizes your family, which ought to be the highest thing that you value in life, I would recommend not doing it. Don't jeopardize your family. Don't jeopardize your marriage because, again, it's going to be the greatest example of love that your kids get to see. So value your marriage, value your family, value the life that God has given you and be thankful for that. Make a habit to pray and to thank God for the life that you have. When I'm home by myself, I take the opportunity to pray because I get to see pictures of my wife. I get to see pictures of my kids and I get to just stare at them. And I get to just see their beauty. And somehow, some way, I get to call them mine. And that's a gift. That's a blessing. That's a remarkable thing. And I want you to realize that. I want you to open up your eyes and realize the beautiful gifts that God has given to you. So value your marriage. Value your family. Value the life that you've been given. This is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift. Thank you so much for being with me, and I hope you'll join me next time.